This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson, featuring notes and articles that help you follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout Scripture. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Nate and John Aiken here with the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk some about Andy Stanley and his sermon series, Unhitching Himself from the Old Testament. We have been all along the way answering objections and then talking through why this is important, but kind of want to get into some practical things uh, today about uh, how are we seeing this played out, particularly in modern evangelicalism and why Christ-centered preaching is important as it comes to some of the, we might even call it a controversy that's going on right now, as how some people view the Old Testament. So, John, uh, thanks for the time, and let's let's maybe dive in here in just a second. Yeah, excited about it. Okay, so as we're thinking through this, and you've um, you, you kind of thought through this topic some as well. What is what is Andy really trying to say? So, there's uh, you might even give a little bit of background on. There's a sermon series he did, and he's talked about this in other formats as well. But what is what's Andy really trying to say with the fact that he wants us to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament? Yeah. So um, he did a, ser- a series of sermons starting at Easter, and then going um, I think three or four weeks after that where he it's mainly about apologetics and how the um, early church was launched out. And so is a clip of a couple of minutes where he talks about unhitching ourselves from the old Testament um, that got all of the fanfare and the, and the media coverage and the the criticism. Um, And so I, I just wanted to go back first and listen to all of the sermons because I wanted to make sure I really got what he was saying to the best of my ability. And so I don't, I don't want to create a straw man. I want to be fair to him and to the argument he was trying to make. Um, and so I tried to go back and listen to the whole, the whole thing. And so kind of, let me give you kind of a summary and then, and then some of the linchpins of his argument. Um, this is, I mean, part and parcel of his ministry is getting rid of anything that unnecessarily is in the way of people coming to faith. Um, and so his, like his key verse for that is in the Jerusalem council, where uh, the apostles say we shouldn't make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God, and so that's kind of the the, the emphasis of his ministry. And i i want <clears throat> to I want to wholeheartedly affirm that. Um, I don't. We we end up in different places, but uh, the summary is just kind of so. One example of things that make it difficult for people to come to faith, he says, is that they gave up the faith because of something in or about the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and and that giving up on Christianity may have been unnecessary. Andy says, says, um, he says, people were raised to believe the Bible is the foundation for Christianity. If any part of it is untrue, then the whole house of cards comes tumbling down. So uh, if you somehow are not convinced about creation, you think it's, it's a myth. If you somehow, you know, don't uh, take the historicity of the flood or you, some of the miracles of the old Testament, or even some of the, um, kind of what he, what uh, Dawkins, I think, calls the ethnic cleansings of the Old Testament, where God seems like he's bloodthirsty and he's saying, wipe out women and children and all this stuff. And he said, if, if, if so, if any of those pieces gives you uh, uh, a pause and, and you just like can't accept it, then all of a sudden the entire 
house of cards comes tumbling down and your faith goes out the window. And he says, we need to be clear that that's not the foundation of Christianity, that, that Christianity is an event-based uh, religion movement, not a text-based uh, movement. And, and the event that he wants to found Christianity on is the resurrection. And he says, we need to do this. We need to, we need to let the resurrection of Jesus be the foundation of our faith, not the Bible for the sake of a younger generation that's living in an information age and won't be able to withstand the onslaught of uh, apologetic attacks against, again, the historicity of the creation account, the historicity of the flood, it's the eth ethical kind of dilemmas of the Old Testament. Uh, they're not going to be able to withstand that without a better foundation. And so Jesus' resurrection launched Christianity, and we believe the event because of the eyewitnesses said he was raised, not because of the Bible. And Jesus' resurrection frees us to accept Jesus' interpretation of his life, and it confirms what he taught. Now, just I'll try to be real quick about this, but the linchpins of his argument were kind of the church existed and spread before, quote, the Bible existed. And so, you know, hundreds of years before we we had the canon complete, the, the church existed and spread like crazy. And so the first followers never owned or read a Bible uh, because there was no Bible, and yet they changed the world. And so we need to take our cues, he says, from the first followers uh, and how they began to understand the Old Testament and uh, how they even, again, um, unhitched themselves from the Old Old Testament. He said the problem for the first followers was they mixed and matched Old Covenant and New Covenant, but they eventually broke away from the Old Covenant thinking, habits, worldview, and value system, and we need to as well. And so he walks through Acts and shows how this happens with Paul at conversion, how it happened with Peter in the Cornelius um, event where he where he meets these Gentiles. Um, he's saying God didn't change his mind between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He changed covenants and that Israel and the Old Covenant was provisional and that once Jesus showed up, that that plane landed and now there's a, there's a new plane, there's a new covenant. And we don't need to, to, to blend those value systems. So he says, quit asking, what does the Bible say? He says, because the Old Covenant says, stone those who commit adultery and the new covenant says forgive um you know better question he says is what does new testament teach or what even better what does jesus teach um like he'll say the old covenant god is angry at sinners happy about hell new testament sin doesn't make god angry it breaks his heart um so those kinds of things and we need to we need to unhitch and then the jerusalem council again is a, kind of the key piece of his argument he says it defines our relationship to the Old Testament, our meaning Gentiles. And so we don't have to keep the Old Covenant. Uh, they set aside the scripture they grew up with uh, and and unhitched themselves from it. Those people who were closest to the action understood that that's what they need to do. And we need to kind of follow uh, follow their, their in their footsteps and um, and not unhitch it because it was wrong, but because it was a means to an end. It was, it was provisional. Um, and so again, um, skeptics who find it virtually impossible to embrace the worldview and value system depicted in ancient Israel. Um, and so they've left Christianity. He says that was unnecessary. The apostles unhitched the Christian faith from the Jewish scriptures. We need to for the same reason, because we don't want to make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. And so that's, I mean, again, best I can and not trying to be unfair. And if, if I have been, I, you know, I certainly am open to correction. That's kind of what he's arguing. And then he even says, I'm talking about this because I want pastors everywhere to consider what we've done. So he's he also is asking for some kind of response to um, what they're doing. He's, a, a, in a sense, evangelizing towards this cause. Um, we'll look at and, and probably even, you know, take aim at some of the linchpins in a minute. Um, but it's probably fair to say he's taken shots from, and even some maybe cheap shots from conservative evangelicals on this who may 
or may not have listened to all his sermons. I think that's a, a bigger problem where we can interact with an argument without really trying to understand the argument. But is there anything, before we kind of get at um, maybe some of the issues we have with it, which which we do, but is there anything he's saying that he gets right or that we need to hear? Yeah, I think I think there's definitely um, things that we need to hear um, and things that he's he's right on target about. Um, I definitely went back and listened to them all. There's a book that's been released with it. I haven't read the book, uh, but I, I definitely listened to all of the sermons multiple times, uh, took extensive notes on them uh, to try to, to be fair. And I, I learned, a, I've learned, first of all, I have learned a lot from him previously. And there was, uh, I think, much in this uh, sermon series that is is correct. I think he's right. What he does... Um, about progressive revelation is right. Like he's, he is right about some parts of the old Testament and old covenant being provisional. Um, and so pr- there is progressive revelation. There is, um, God isn't changing his plan, but he's unfolding it piece by piece. Right. And so when he, when he walks through the preservation of the the line of the Messiah and that being, um, the key role of Israel, like he's, he's right on. And, and that's, um, a, a big thrust of what's happening in the old Testament. Um, we're going to talk about this in a second. I think he takes it too far. Um, so, it's, so he would, he would. I think there's a balance between the continuity and discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we don't want to get too far on the continuity side. We also don't want to get too far on the discontinuity side. And he he's going to emphasize the discontinuity over the continuity. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. I mean, he 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 says he's an inerrantist. I, I mean, I. I, I I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, he affirms that, like, yeah, Jesus said all this was true, and so all this is true. So I definitely think that was good. He's right on target in terms of his critique of much of the evangelicalism that we grew up in. He said that the problem is that the Bible as a whole, and specific, specifically the Old Testament, was revered rather than read. And I think he's he's right about that. That people didn't we we haven't read our Bible. We claim to be people of the book. We've not really read our Bibles like we should. And because of that, we don't get it. We don't. He's right that we don't know how to understand the Old Testament. He's right that we have at times mixed and matched Old Testament, New Testament. Um, the the church as a whole is just is just pretty illiterate when it comes to the Old Testament. And so he's he's right on with that. I don't. I don't draw the same conclusion or solution to that problem uh, that he does, but um, I, I love his apologetic and evangelistic intent. Um, he, he's, he's, that's to be commended. He's, he's wanting to win lost people to Jesus. And so I want to commend that. I love his stuff. Um, and again, it's not that the first time I've heard it. I love his stuff on, on James, the brother of Jesus and his apologetic approach of, of, I mean, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? Um, you know, what was it for James? It was the resurrection. What, what completely changed his mind? Like that, that's a convincing argument. I think that works with unbelievers. And I, so I, I love that stuff. Um, I love his emphasis on the resurrection as the, as the pinnacle of Christianity, as the foundation of Christianity. My favorite verse in the Bible is Acts 13, 30, but God raised him from the dead. I think that is the, that is the, the center point of Christianity. Um, but again, we'll, we'll probably draw some different conclusions, uh, than he would. So in, in, in light of that, um, we certainly would have some issues with what he said. Uh, where would you say that he, one, that he's wrong? Uh, and I would even maybe just ask this question, 
and you can maybe get into this at the beginning or kind of get into it with the flow of your answer to this question, but is some of this a hermeneutical issue, particularly when it comes to Acts 15? So is he is he putting uh, some weight, one, too much weight on Acts 15? Is he misreading Acts 15? But in a larger sense, what are some of the, look, as we look at his linchpins, what are the, where are the areas where he's wrong and uh, even problematic? Yeah, let me, so let me address Acts 15 just, just quickly. Um, he, he is partially right uh, when he, when he's addressing Acts 15, but then he, it leads him to wrong conclusions. And so he says basically that at Jerusalem Council, they unhitched themselves from the entire Old Testament. I mean, that's just not true. Uh, first of all, James is, is, recognizing that what's happening here is fulfillment of, of the prophecy from Amos, for example. Um, they're, they're building on what's happening in the Old Testament. The, the, there's the, one of the main issues that I have is that he is, is that Andy takes what the apostles unhitch themselves from certain sections of the Mosaic covenant. If you want to use the classic reformed um, kind of three, the three sections of the law, ceremonial, right, civil, and then moral, they unhitch themselves from some of the ceremonial, um, and and then Hebrews clearly um, uh, unhitches us from the ceremonial in terms of the sacrifices and and whatnot. Uh, it unhitches from some of the civil, but it doesn't at all unhitch from the moral. But the, even the bigger problem with that is that even those those three divisions can be, you know, a little bit artificial. Um, the bigger issue is is that he'll take. Okay, they're telling you, you know, circumcision. You don't have to. You don't have to abide by circumcision. And then he applies that to the entire Old Testament, saying, "Well, if you have problems with the creation account, then just unhitch yourself from it." Well, then the apostles never do that. They they build everything that they're doing in Acts, even with people who've never had the scriptures before, on the creation account. Um, that you know, if you want to unhitch yourself from the historicity of the flood, then then okay, great, because they unhitched themselves. Well, they didn't. Jesus builds his doctrine of of final judgment on the Noah and the flood story. So he, yeah. it's a, it's an <laughs> extrapolation. Do the apostles after that. Yeah. Right. Peter, I mean, for example, right. yeah. So, so he's extrapolating one part of it that they say was provisional and that therefore doesn't apply to Gentiles. And then he's saying that, that you can just do that with the whole thing. And that's not what they're doing. And that um, is a hermeneutical problem. And I, and I would say in this part, part, part of the reason we wanted to do this podcast, I mean, one of the biggest issues we have in the pew is that it just, um, not an understanding of hermeneutics. And um, certainly, as you said at the beginning, growing up where you revere it, but don't read it. Uh, but then there's a problem with if you read it and you don't read it rightly, it can lead you to some wrong conclusions. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a, yeah, it's a massive issue. Hermeneutics uh, would would solve a lot. And so um, he's right that we haven't had the correct hermeneutic, but I don't think that the way he approaches Acts 15 helps. Um so a couple of things that I would say in terms of the linchpins of his argument. One, he talks about if you've he he speaks. I hate, I don't want to say this um, too harshly, but he kind of speaks out of both sides of his mouth when it comes to two statements. One, when he's talking about if you don't like the value system depicted in in the Old Testament in ancient Israel, um, so he'll so he'll talk about like you know the God of the Old Testament's angry. Um, the Old Testament was a covenant of works. But then he'll come back and say, well, no, the apostles tell us it wasn't a covenant of works. It was always about faith. Okay. So he's, he's right about that, but he's, so he's, he's kind of going back and forth. The Old Testament was angry God and it was all about works and New Testament's loving God. And it's about grace and faith. And then he'll say, well, no, but there was grace and faith back in the Old Testament. And so it's kind of like he's, he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He said, 
um, you know, basically that that it, God didn't change his mind, but he's doing two different covenants, doing two different things. God's never doing two different things um, throughout. As the, as the Westminster Confession of Faith tells us that there's one covenant of grace, right? There's there's one, the substance of the covenant of grace is the same from Old Testament, New Testament. He'd say there's, the Westminster Confession says there's two administrations of that covenant, uh, but there's one substance. He's doing the same thing throughout. Um, the, the, he basically talks about in the Old Testament, God loves Israel. New Testament, God loves the world. But that's not true. It, it, from the beginning, the, the Abrahamic covenant is, I'm going to bless you so that you bless all the families all of the, the earth. Nations, yeah. And so it's always been worldwide. It's always been, I have a covenant with a certain people so that through that people, I can bless the entire world. It's the same thing with the church. God's covenant right now is not with the world. It's with the church. And then through the church, he's going to, he's, we're to, we're to be the, bring his blessing to the world. And so God's love for the world is part and parcel of the entire old Testament. And it's not, it's not a new thing that's happening um, in the, in the new Testament in terms of God's desire to save the world. Um, even this, this kind of idea of an angry God who's, who's harsh and judgmental in the old Testament, but he's gracious in the new Testament. Well, I mean, tell that to Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, it's not just people drop dead in, in the old Testament. There's people who drop dead in the new covenant. And when he says that God hates and in Jesus the old Testament, spoke about hell more than anybody. Exactly right. I mean, part of the, part of the issue here is, is if you're going to basically say we need to jettison parts of the Bible, that skeptics find, you know, uneasy for their consciences, then where does that stop? It's not going to stop with the words of Jesus when he starts talking about Gehenna. I mean, they're, you know, they're not, that's going to seem uneasy to the conscience as well. Uh, and so we can't, we can't do this sort of thing where we pick and choose. Um, it's a very, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's in some ways, I don't want to throw out terms, but I mean, it's classic liberalism. We're trying to rescue Christianity from the things that modern minds find problematic, but in the end, you, you end up destroying Christianity. Now be a good time to hear from our sponsor. This podcast is generously supported by Zondervan Bibles and the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible edited by D.A. Carson. Biblical theology allows you to ponder the individual stories and themes of Scripture while observing how they all fit together in God's grand biblical narrative. That's why this unique study Bible features three articles in introducing biblical theology and 25 articles unpacking key themes of Scripture. The NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible contains detailed book introductions, 20,000 verse-by-verse study notes, 28 theologically rich articles by authors such as Tim Keller and Kevin DeYoung, hundreds of full-color photos, more than 90 maps, and over 60 charts. All of this allows readers to marvel at the big story while savoring each detail. With a focus on biblical theology and the overarching story of Scripture, the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible helps readers follow God's redemptive plan as it unfolds throughout the Scriptures. Find out more at NIVBiblicalTheologyStudyBible.com. And so that's, so that's one kind of area would be just this, like, again, so you say, um, you know, he hates sin in the Old Testament, but sin breaks his heart in the New Testament. Well, again, tell that to Hosea, because Hosea is, is, is showing God's broken heart about the way his people have been unfaithful to him. Uh, and that they, they've cheated on him. And so again, this is, he's doing, he's never doing two different things. Um, again, we've kind of touched on this briefly, but he doesn't unhitch the, the apostles don't unhitch from the entire Old Testament, just some of the mosaic. Um, and when he says, when he starts talking about, there, you know, there's two covenants, our covenant's better. Well, there's more than one covenant in the Old Testament. There's the Abrahamic covenant, which from what Paul's saying in Galatians and other places is still operational today. Now, we don't circumcise people because in Christ, circumcision has been fulfilled and and you're in Christ. And so Christ, God sees yeah. you as a as a ideal Israelite in his eyes. Um, 
But there, there again, creation, the Noah account, the Jonah account, all of these things are not unhitched from. They're embraced fully uh, by Jesus and the apostles. Um, I'll tell you one other thing, and then come back to just the just the view of Scripture itself. Part of the problem with what I think with with what Stanley's trying to do is he equates the wrong interpretation of the Old Testament with the Old Testament itself. And so he's he's equating a, a misreading of the Old Testament with what the Old Testament actually says. He keeps saying that the people who are closest to the action, they understood. When Paul was persecuting Christians, it wasn't because he was doing something wrong. It was because he was doing exactly right uh, according to his faith, according to the Old Testament. Well, that's not true. Um, Peter is closest to the action, so he, he gets it right. That's not true. Jesus rebukes the disciples on the road to Emmaus and says, you should have seen this, but you didn't. Jesus, uh, I mean, rebukes Peter, uh, even in the, the dream right before he goes to Cornelius. So like, for, for example, um, so when, when Peter's standing there with Cornelius and he says, you yourselves know it's not lawful for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. Uh, yeah, it is. There's not one uh, uh, prescription in the Old Testament that says a Jew cannot associate with a Gentile. And, and so Stanley says that Peter's right about that. Peter's not right about that. Peter is, has taken tradition that's been heaped on the law and equated it with the law. And so he's he's got a wrong reading of the Old Testament. And so that's led to wrong action. God's intention was always for the Jews to be a light to the nations and to be a light to the Gentiles. And, and we see this in Ruth and we see this in, um, you know, Naaman's leprosy and all these different things that happen. It's not, it's not unlawful. It's, 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 uh, again, they're, they're, they're taking this tradition that they've heaped on the, the scriptures and they're taking it as authoritative of the scriptures. That's what we need to unhitch ourselves from is, is yeah, tradition that's a wrong interpretation of the Old Testament. Tradition that's a wrong inter- interpretation of the Old Testament when it comes to saying, well, that was a covenant of works and now we're in our covenant of grace. No, we're not. It's always been a covenant of grace. And so we can't, we can't equate a wrong interpretation of the Old Testament with the Old Testament. And so I would just say that people got it, the people closest to the action got it wrong until Jesus showed them what the Old Testament was really about. So when he says that the resurrection of Jesus launched Christianity, not a book, I would say, well, yeah, sort of. The resurrection of Jesus and a 40-day Bible study with Jesus who explained to them exactly how the Old Testament was fulfilled in him, that's what launched Christianity. And we see that right. in all the sermons and acts. It's even it's even false to say that the the church grew without the Bible. Yeah, when he I mean, said, well, he, he again, that's another place where he'll kind of say one thing and then say another because he'll say, well, they didn't have a Bible, and then he'll say, well, they did have a Bible. It was it was the Old Testament, but they unhitched themselves from it. Well, no, they they didn't. They did have a Bible. Yeah. So, well, what's going on in Acts when Paul's preaching and Peter's preaching? How are they preaching? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're preaching well, the Old Testament. Yeah, it, they're preaching the Old Testament, and he would say, I think Andy would say, well, when Acts fourteen, you know, at Lystra and Derby, and Acts seventeen at Athens, they these are completely pagan people. They didn't have a Bible, and so Paul doesn't um, reference the Bible there. But he does reference creation and create. We would not know about creation. There was not one person who was there to witness it. Uh, we would not know about creation without the Bible, um, and so they're they're still building their preaching on the Old Testament and what has been revealed to them in the Old Testament. And then the final would be just um, just kind of the doctrine of Scripture itself, and and we can't understand the event of the resurrection without the Word. We wouldn't even know about the resurrection without the Word. Okay, so you can't we can't divorce event from doctrine because you can't. 
you have to have the event and then you have to have the divinely inspired explanation of the event for it to have saving significance. Uh, so Jay Gresham Machen uh, wrote about this a hundred years ago in Christianity and liberalism, but we can't do, Stanley sometimes wants to make a distinction between the scripture and the Bible. And I, we just can't make, we can't make that description, that, that distinction. All the sermons in the new Testament um, are based on the old Testament. They're based on, um, you know, Jesus's revelation uh, of himself and um, of how the Old Testament uh, relates to him and, and speaks about him, and and so we can't divorce, we can't you know divide those things. Um, and for example, so when 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 Stan, Stanley was walking through the Book of Acts and showing these kinds of things, like he so he'll he'll mention um, Acts ten, for example, like he, he's walking through Acts four, so Acts four ten, he'll mention. Uh, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And so he'll say, look, I mean, they're, they're, they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And then he omits, verse 11, Jesus is, quote, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the, the cornerstone. They're, they're building this, uh, their, their sermon on the Old Testament, on quotations from the Old Testament and saying, this is what's happening. This is the fulfillment of what is happening. And again, we've already mentioned, even with pagans, they're building it on what the Old Testament has revealed about creation and those kinds of things. And so we can't make this kind of hard and fast distinction. The other reason is because, honestly, there's no we have no access to the eyewitness accounts without the Bible, without it having been written down, right? I mean, that's that's the whole point. Um of Jesus, uh, for example, uh, if you if you remember this, let me just mention this briefly. We need we need to move on, but um, you mentioned you remember this with uh, Jesus with Thomas in John twenty, which I think we we kind of misunderstand. But when Jesus says to him, "Because you have seen me, you have believed." Blessed are those who have not yet have not seen and yet have believed. And we think that this is a rebuke of Thomas, but it's not a rebuke of Thomas. It, it goes on to tell you Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He's not saying, I mean, none of the other 10 apostles believed without seeing Jesus. Okay, so, so he's he's blessing Thomas and you've seen this, but now there's going to be all these people who don't have access to me, all these people who are not going to be able to be eyewitnesses. And so you write this down and pass it down so that they will. And so there's no, we just can't say, well... Christianity is about the resurrection and the eyewitnesses. Well, we wouldn't know any of that without the without the scripture, and the Bible. Let me. So let's just kind of maybe try to get very practical on this. Why is his position ultimately unhelpful and maybe even dangerous, and probably even dangerous? Yeah, let me just say um, there's just two things I would say. That one unhelpful because I just don't think it'll work. And so he's so so he's saying like. Um, I think it's Dawkins who says that the the God of the Old Testament is arguably the arguably the most uh, vile character in all of fiction, is what he says, and and he's talking about again these ethnic cleansings and stuff. And he so Stanley says, "What's your nineteen year old daughter going to say? You know, how's she going to stand up to that?" Um, my my point is, I just don't think that that Andy or we as the church can have our cake and eat it too. I think at some point when you say, like Andy says rightly, this resurrected man. You know, you need it because he's resurrected. It all of his claims are validated, and therefore you need to take everything he says seriously. Well, this resurrected man that you're saying we need to take his claim seriously affirms that Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish. 
and that God destroyed the world uh, in a flood and saved one family through it. And so the skeptic's going to look at that and say, but okay, but Jesus affirmed all these things that I have problems with. And so what now? And so you're going to have to at some point answer the question. And so rather than unhitching ourselves, then let's equip the church on how to answer those things and how to read their, their Old Testament rightly, because you're not going to be able to get around the question. I've been in um, a Muslim country where a Muslim said to me, uh, I can't be a Christian because the God of the Bible is too violent. And I'm just like, You're a what? Muslim. Yeah. I was like, I'm sorry. And, but I had to answer questions about, you know, the slaughter of the Amalekites and those kinds of things to, to, to be a witness to him. And so one, I just don't think it's going to work. The second is the, the words of Jesus is that, um, that again, scripture and resurrection always go together. Jesus is in Luke 16, tells a story about the rich man and this poor man named Lazarus. They die. The rich man goes to Hades where he's agony and flame and, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's side paradise. And the rich man says, um, they're having this conversation back and forth. And the rich man says to Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house uh, because I have five brothers and I don't want them to come to this place of torment. And Abraham says, well, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Old Testament. And he says, no, Father Abraham, but if a man goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And, and Abraham says, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not repent even if one goes to them from the dead. And so the resurrection without the divinely inspired testimony, teaching, explanation of who this resurrected man is, is, is not going to be saving. They have to both go together. And so, again, that may sound idealistic. That may be whatever. That's what Jesus said. And so I think we need to, we need to, to approach ministry and evangelism in the way that Jesus told us to. And it's what Machen said, I mean, now almost a hundred years ago, um, as he's trying to address uh, what you, you know, classic liberalism. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's interesting when it comes to evangelical debates, sometimes there are not clear proof texts to, to like, you know, linchpin your argument on. It's interesting in this case and on this topic, there is an actual parable that Jesus taught that completely contradicts what's being said. Yeah. I mean, it, it is clearly intriguing. So. Um, what do you think then is the alternative uh, to this? We'll, we'll kind of get out of here on that on that question. But as, as you kind of, we've presented the problem, let's, let's try to present a solution. And maybe, you know, some of that's going to be why we're doing this and, and stay tuned. And we're not the only ones trying to help in this, but what's the alternative? Yeah. Ultimately, as I said, is, is learning how to read the old Testament rightly, uh, in light of Christ, in light of, of what's happened. Um, and so equip, equipping our people. And so that's obviously what this podcast is over the long haul going, going to be trying to accomplish in small measure. Um, Keller wrote a great article about this as he was um, uh, called the Old Testament law and the charge of inconsistency. It's probably, probably seven years old, eight years old. Um, but where people will basically say we pick and choose. And so we, we, we stick with the Old Testament condemnation of homosexual marriage, but we don't stick with it when it comes to eating, you know, uh, meat with blood in it, or when it comes to eating shellfish or whatever. And he, he basically is saying, well, look, you know, um, that charge of inconsistency does, doesn't stick. Um, and he gives several reasons. One, it's not just the Old Testament where there's prescriptions about homosexuality is one. But he, he again, goes basically go, goes on to explain kind of the classic Reformed. There's three sections to the law. 
and that Jesus has fulfilled the ceremonial one. And so we can approach God through Jesus and we don't have to clean ourselves up before we approach. But that was shown in the tearing of the veil and, and so forth. Um, and so we're not being inconsistent. We're reading it the way that Jesus tells us to read it as fulfilled in him. Um, but but all of the moral law is is affirmed in the in the New Testament. And we're still called to um, we're still called to obey it. And so basically he's saying, you know, if Christ is the fulfillment, is the pinnacle of the scriptures, then then that explains to us how to read the Old Testament. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's good. That gives us a, a jumping point to the next episode, which will be uh, likely the final episode of season one with uh, Peyton Hill, who did his dissertation. So he has a PhD and did his dissertation on uh, Keller's Christ-centered uh, Christ hermeneutic. And so we'll have some more conversation with him and, and do some Q&A as we look at this topic. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.